I never, I only wanted to stop drinking and that's it. I didn't want to think, I didn't want to change the mind. I didn't know it was possible to change my thinking. But because of this program, because of God, because of people like yourselves, I didn't know it was possible to be this positive about myself, to love myself this much. That's what AA has given me. Like half measures should avail us half. Quarter measures should avail us a quarter. Big quarter measures should avail me three quarters. But it's not the case, it avails us nothing. But full measures avail us more than we ever could have asked for. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is a show where we provide experience, strength, and hope through interviews with members of the recovery community. The show is not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, although you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. I'm great. It's February 24th, and we have a special guest with us this morning. Oh, who have we got? We've got Quinn P. from Reston, Virginia, and he's here to talk to us about a thankful heart. Fantastic. Well, Quinn, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here. Well, we start the show in the same way. We ask the guests to read the daily reflection for the day. Would you help us get started? Absolutely. I'm Quinn. I'm an alcoholic. Daily reflection, a thankful heart. As Bill sees it, page 37, I try to hold fast to the truth that a full and thankful heart cannot entertain great conceits. When brimming with gratitude, one's heartbeat must surely result in outgoing love, the finest emotion that we can ever know. My sponsor told me that I should be a grateful alcoholic and always have an attitude of gratitude. That gratitude was the basic ingredient of humility. That humility was the basic ingredient of anonymity. And that anonymity was the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. As a result of this guidance, I start every morning on my knees, thanking God for three things. I'm alive, I'm sober, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Then I try to live an attitude of gratitude and thoroughly enjoy another 24 hours of the AA way of life. AA is not something I joined, it's something I live. Wow. Yeah. So how does that resonate with you? What does it mean for you in your recovery? Yeah. When I really first came in the AA, one of the, one of the older guys, one of the, one of the old timers used to always tell me an ungrateful alcoholic's not a sober alcoholic. And I had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> I legitimately had no clue. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I haven't drank. Of course I'm a sober alcoholic. <laughs> but then as I kind of picked up some more sober time and I started going through the steps, I realized that he was 100% correct. It's not just about being sober in terms of not picking up the drink. It's about being sober in the terms of that emotional sobriety, being able to pause before I speak, being able to reach out for help, being able to look for others' needs instead of my own. And I can't do that unless I'm being grateful. If I'm ungrateful, I'm in my own head. I'm thinking about what does Quinn deserve? What does Quinn need? What makes Quinn happy right now? Looking for that instantaneous gratification. I'm still not emotionally sober, but when I'm grateful, when I'm really thinking about the little things in life that make me happy, the little things in life that I need to be grateful for. It allows me to be there for others and be sober in that true sense of the word. So yeah, that's what it means for me right off the bat. <laughs> that's wonderful. What, what's your sobriety date, Quinn? August 4th, 2019. Wow. <laughs> that's a long time. So what, what was, what was it like before you came in? What was your heart like before you came into Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, this might be a shocker, but I, I liked alcohol. <laughs> I liked <laughs> alcohol and drugs a lot. I tell everyone, I, when I was a kid, I had nothing really to blame my alcoholism on. I had loving parents. I had friends. But I always felt always on the, on the outside a little bit. 
always on the outside looking in. I was like, I kind of imagined my life like I was on a ladder, either above me or below me on the ladder. And I was, and I was looking for it. I was like, this person's cooler than me. This person's smarter than me. This person's not as cool as me. And like, I kind of always looked at my life on the ladder and I'm sure you guys can probably understand that. That's really exhausting. That's really tiring. And I remember the first time I drank alcohol, I always tell my friends, like, I don't remember what I was wearing on any other day of my life. I can tell you what I was wearing the first time I drank alcohol. That's how important that day was for me. It was such an important day because all those anxieties, all that comparing myself, all that exhaustion is melted away. And I was talking to people, I was connecting with people. And from that moment on, I remember telling myself, like, I see what the hype is. I see why they're drinking in the movies. I see how, I see how they're drinking. With, when I go to family functions, I, I get the hype. And from that moment on, I was, I was mentally addicted to alcohol. The physical addiction and in the, in the, in the trembles and all that stuff, that came later. But from that day on, I was mentally addicted to alcohol because all the other things that um, used to be good enough for me weren't good enough for me anymore. It was always like, okay, we're playing ping pong in your basement. Can we have alcohol there? Can we get beer? Like that stuff that used to be good enough wasn't good enough anymore. And I mean, I chased that. Um, I don't really have to go too much into how, what college was like because college was this endless stream of me blacking out, punching the pillow. It's going to be different. I'm tired of it being like this. Someone texting me, hey, man, you want a drink? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. All those thoughts of all that bewilderment and fear would instantly melt away at the suggestion of the first drink. And I kind of kept chasing that. Um, I got in front of judges. I got sent to my school's substance abuse center four separate times. I was banned from living on campus. They're like, you can go to school here, but you can't live anywhere near our students. <laughs> That's essentially what they said. And I just kind of kept kept on going. I just kept on trucking. And I kind of kept telling myself, as long as you can keep the appearances of, of doing this, you can keep drinking like this. And I kind of saw all my other friends kind of moving on, you know, all the friends that I used to drink with when I started college, they were finding fulfillment in relationships and jobs and internships. And I was like, are we not drinking the same way that we were drinking when we were 17? Like I was like shocked that no one else wanted to drink like me anymore. So I've kind of found friends that did. I found drugs that let me drink longer. Um, I know this is an AA podcast, but I found drugs that let me drink longer. I can talk about that as I found cocaine and that made me, and that kind of took me, it took my alcoholism to another, uh, to another level. And um, I really kind of, Went to law school because I wanted to be able to tell people I went to law school. And from there, my life just took all the things that you kind of read about in the book, all the things that I told myself I would never do. I'm never going to drink alone. I'm never going to do this. All happened in law school. Driving drunk to get more alcohol at 10 in the morning, doing drugs and drinking by myself. I would, I would close the blinds, put my, phone on a, put my phone on airplane mode, throw it in my sock drawer and just be alone in the dark. My world had gotten so small. It had just gotten so small. Um, it got from just my, my house to, to my college town, to my apartment, to just my little dorm room, my bed. I was afraid to leave my bed. And the crazy part about that is I thought I wasn't hurting anyone. I thought the only person that's getting hurt right now is me. My phone's in the sock drawer. And I'm not talking. No one's, no one's calling me. I'm literally not hurting anyone. I'm just hurting myself. I realize now by making amends and kind of talking to people, that's when I was hurting people the most because I was isolated. I was being distant. And I can honestly say that four separate times or three separate times in 2019, I thought to myself, it can't get worse than this. Can't get worse than this. Um, one time I was just alone in a New York City apartment doing drugs by myself after my friend had kicked me out of his apartment. And I told myself, if you die here, no one's going to know where you are. 
It's going to be a nice statistic. Um, and the second one was I blacked out twice and um, three, t- three times in two days, came home, puked. And I told myself for the very first time that was on March 8th of 2019. So coming up on two years on that and thinking to myself, you can't control how much you drink. You can't control it. You didn't want to black out and you did. And I remember telling myself that you probably should just kill yourself. Um, because I couldn't imagine a life sober. And I couldn't imagine a life drunk, drunk. So at that moment, the right decision thought maybe I should just end it here. And honestly, what stopped me was that I was too tired. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep drinking. I'm probably going to die by the time I'm by by the time I'm 30, and that's okay. I was 22 when that was happening. And so then I kept drinking. I kept drinking like that. My family was didn't know what to do with me. I would tell my friends, I'm going to die, guys. Like, I'm, I've accepted it. I'm not sure why you haven't. They would cry. I'm like, why is this person crying? And I just kept drinking. And then um, a miracle happened. I woke up after finishing a bottle by myself. I told myself I'm only going to have enough, enough of the bottle so my mom doesn't know I've had any. The bottle, bottle ends up finished. <laughs> and then I wake up and uh, my heartbeat can't, won't stop. I can't breathe. I feel like someone's sitting on my chest. So at six in the morning on that Sunday, I'm like, I'm going to the hospital. I go to the hospital. I think I'm only going to be there for three hours. I tell the doctor the first time I was ever honest with a medical professional about my drinking. First time I was honest with anybody about my drinking. I said, every time I, I drink, I black out and I can't control how much I drink and I'm scared. And the doctor looked at me. He said, this is alcohol withdrawal. And we think you're going to go into a seizure. So we're going to take you to the ICU. I was in the ICU for three, four days. Um, I got out, ready to drink again. I told my mom, I'm going to have six to eight drinks a day and chill. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic in every sense of the word. Uh, but then um, a miracle. I was like, I think I've, we'll, kind of, we'll probably touch on this more in the podcast, but I kind of learned that God was always talking to me. Just at that moment, I decided to listen. And I only see my uncle twice a year. I, I mean, twice every two years. Like I hardly ever see him. He lives in Texas. And I remember for some reason he was there, like he was just in our area and we have a relationship where he can be honest with me. And he sat me down and gave me a can of Coke. He turned on a basketball game. He said, Quinn, remember this was all that was enough for you. Remember this is all that took to make you happy. Well, you can have that again. And for some reason I believed him. (laughs) I believed him. And I remember I was staring at the wall, a white wall. And I remember thinking at one moment I was, I was going to, I'm going to drink again. There's nothing you can do to stop me. And the next minute I was, I'm going to, I'll do anything to get sober. And I'm happy to report that that was, that's over 18 months ago. That desire to not drink that day is the exact same desire I have not to drink today. And yeah, that's a little bit about what it's like in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a great story. And I'm so glad you made it. You know, a lot of people don't. It's a scary thing. Tell me a little bit about how you grasp this concept of, of gratitude and, and, does it come easy for you? Is it always easy now that you're sober to find gratitude? Yeah, I'll say it does not come easy for me because at my core, I'm an alcoholic. At the core, I'm thinking about what does Quinn deserve? What does Quinn want? What does Quinn need? And that's why when you talk about in the big book that we have a daily reprieve from alcohol, we have a daily reprieve from my, from my alcoholic self. You know, I have a daily reprieve from my mindset of always thinking of what does Quinn get? What does Quinn get in the situation? Not what can Quinn give from the situation? And so what I mean by it doesn't come easy for me is I have to put in this work, the same work that I have to put in to keep me sober is the exact same work that, that I need to put in to keep me, keep me grateful. 
have to be reaching out to other alcoholics. I have to be going to meetings. I have to be hearing from you. I have to be reaching out to newcomers. I have to be working with newcomers. I have to constantly be vigilant. Like, am I not, like, am I not happy for this person's success right now? Like, am I, am I starting to compare myself to others? Let's do some inventory. Let's do some fourth step inventory. So it's not easy. And I'm kind of happy it's not because my dad used to tell me like nothing worth having in life comes easy. And so gratitude is something that's a hundred percent worth having. It's a hundred percent. It's, it's kind of a necessity really. And, and so it's one of those things that I'm happy to put that work in because that's one of the things you put in a little bit of work. The gifts are tremendous. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, to cultivate an attitude of gratitude, it involves fellowship. It involves the program, the steps and working with newcomers. I'm curious, where do you find newcomers? Yeah, I guess it's a little bit harder these days, <laughs> a little bit harder. The answer is it's honestly just as easy to find, I think. Um, I, go to, I go to a lot of Zoom meetings, five to six meetings a week, and there's always a guy that you, I haven't seen before. Um, sometimes they're so courageous, they're stronger than me, but they'll reach out and be like, this is my first meeting here. This is my second meeting. I'm uh, trying to build a fellowship. And I'll always chat them. I'll be like, hey, man, here's my number. Here's my name. If they're a younger person like me, I'm like, hey, man, I know how tough it is to get sober or younger in sobriety. Please uh, feel free to reach out. And the best time is just they'll send me their number. And so I can kind of get on that cadence right away. And as newcomers, I don't want to text you right off the bat. I don't blame them. I didn't want to text people right off the bat. But yeah, that's sort of how I find them. Service opportunities, a good friend of mine, he works at the Salvation Army. He gave me an opportunity to speak at the Salvation Army, lead a meeting there. And that was an amazing experience. Talk about gratitude. My problems are trivial. My problems, I have problems in areas of my life I didn't used to have areas. And so that's a great way to have gratitude. It's a great way to meet new people. And so always putting yourself out there. It's easier for you to reach, to reach out than it is for the newcomer to reach out. So that's how I look at it. That's great. So the, the daily reflection says that I start every morning on my knees, thanking God for three things. I'm alive, I'm sober, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And actually, I think Mike just wrote a great article uh, posted in the Facebook group and on the blog um, about morning routine. It's a great read. People, everyone should read it. Um, what's your, how, do, how does gratitude fit into your morning routine? Yeah, that's a, that's a necessity. <laughs> that's a 100% necessity. Because before, like, I was, I, I can honestly say I prayed every morning, but I can't honestly say that I prayed the first thing every morning. There have been mornings where I've woken up and like I gotta scroll through Twitter, what's what's going on on social media, and those days stink. <laughs> those days are my worst days. Is when I'm is when I'm putting prayer second or third on my list. For me, I have to get in the prayer right off the bat. As soon as the alarm goes off, click, get on my knees right off the bat, and I thank God for the three things that I mentioned in the daily reflection. Every morning, I think, God, thank you so much for keeping me sober of all drugs and alcohol yesterday and today. Thank you so much for allowing me to um, draw these sober breaths. And please keep me sober. Please keep me sober. Please keep me grateful today. And, and I say that prayer every single day. Then I pray for my loved ones, give them everything that I wish I had, grant them health, prosperity, and happiness. And from there, that just puts me in the right mindset. I, I do that. I brush my teeth. I read pages 83 to 88, which is the required reading daily for my sponsor. Um, long <laughs> sometimes i'll sometimes i'll kind of trail off reading it and i remember i'm still reading it because i've read it so many times my memory will have knows what's coming even if i'm not looking at the book uh but you know i'll read that i'll uh try to meditate i'll be honest that's not something that i'm doing as well right now it's on my nightly inventory every single time and my sponsor tries to hold me accountable on it um my old sponsor should tell me that meditation is not extra credit and so i need to stop acting like it's extra credit 
And so that's something that, but when I have been getting in that meditation, it's just like full circle. Praying is talking to God, meditating is listening to God. And, when I'm, and that's really my morning routine. After that, I usually eat a banana and then it's ready to start the day. But right off that bat, I, I have to pray right away. Cause I mean, it's not possible for me because like I wake up every morning of untreated alcoholism. I wake up every morning a little bit irritable, a little bit wetless, a little bit, a little bit discontent. I have to treat my alcoholism. I have to treat it right off the bat, right off the bat in the morning. And prayer is the main way I do that. I mean, it sounds like you work a good solid program and that's great. And, and it's a wonderful thing to wake up free. I know that feeling, but how has the program changed your life outside the fellowship? Yeah. My sponsor's sponsor always tells him that I can judge the quality of my life by the quality of my relationships. And my relationships are so strong today. I need to find some wood to knock on, <laughs> but my relationships are so strong today. I didn't know it was this uh, possible to have this positive relationship with my mom. My mom and I have never had a solid relationship. We were too similar. And we like to, we like to argue, we like to go back and forth. I can't tell you the last time my mom and I fought and those feelings had lingered because when things are going bad, I have that presence of mind now, like, okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to think about my part in it. I'm going to come back and make 10 step amends. And I can do that with every single person in my life. Um, the nine step was the scariest step for me coming in. I was terrified of the nine step. I was like, these people have every reason to tell me to screw off. Like we don't want to talk to you anymore. And no one told me to do that. Every single person was like, Quinn, we're here for you. We love you, especially my loved ones, like my, fam- my closest family and closest friends. And so my relationship, my life has changed so much is that I'm a present friend. I'm a present son. I'm a present brother. I'm a present cousin. My family, we have a Zoom call at 7 p.m. every Wednesday. I can count on one hand how many times I've missed that Zoom call because it matters to me. It really, really matters to me to be on that Zoom call. And that was not the Quinn before. 7 p.m. Wednesday, okay, I'm either drinking or I'm watching basketball <laughs> and I'm going to drink. You know what I mean? And so, but now like I take pride in that. I take a lot of pride in like, I'm going to be a present grandson, a present family member today. And that's really how it's changed. My relationships are stronger. And that's all because I'm really looking at how can I be that son that I couldn't be? How can I be the, son, the person that I couldn't be? Because I've always wanted to be that person, you know? I just couldn't because I was drinking. I had a disease that I, didn't, I wasn't diagnosed yet. But God, God in this program has given me the opportunity to be the person I've always wanted to be. So let's do it. <laughs> that's really what gets me up in the morning, that chance to do it. Wow, your uh, passion for the program, your passion for your relatively newfound sobriety is uh, infectious. What would you tell, you know, there are probably a lot of people listening who are either thinking about coming in or they're just a few days or a few weeks in. What do you tell them to do now so that they can start to feel some of that joy and serenity that you clearly feel? I think it's really, it's the biggest cliche, but it's one day at a time, one step at a time. And so if you're kind of on that brink of like, is this for me? Is is this something that I really want to do? Is Will this work for me? That was a big thing for me. I was like, I'm too young. I'm too young for AA. He's not going to work for a young guy like me. Of course, there are many people that are younger than me. Um, I would tell that person to reach out to someone you know in recovery. Have that one-on-one conversation. Talk to them. Ask what they've gotten out of it. Really take a chance to listen. That's not something that as a newcomer I wanted to do. (laughs) I was not a big listener back in the day. But I would say, take some time, call someone, reach out, try to talk to someone you're comfortable with that you may or may not know in the program, and then go to a meeting with them. Sit in a meeting with them, 
see how we operate, see how people talk. Understanding fellowshipping right off the back and be a little bit like these people want my phone number. Like what? <laughs> like what are you talking about? Like, I can understand that's intimidating. So I would say make it easy on yourself. Call someone you know, ask them what their experience is, go to a meeting with them, see you, see you, see what see what AA is all about, see what the message we're trying to spread. And if you feel better at the end of those conversations, which I can almost guarantee that you will, even if you feel a little bit worse, because it's like, oh, this is so overwhelming. I promise you that it's going to keep getting better little by little. So that, was, that would be my first steps that I would say. Great advice. So anything else to offer the audience before we begin to wrap up? Um, I guess the first thing I'll say is I'm very grateful for Mike and Lee, both of you guys for inviting me out. Um, shout out to my friend, Craiger, our friend Craiger, for getting me out here. Uh, grateful for you guys for having me out. And I guess the only other thing that I'll say there's a guy in my home group that always talks about how much it stinks that half measures avail us nothing. Like half measures should avail us half. Quarter measures should avail us a quarter. Big quarter measures <laughs> should avail me three quarters. But it's not the case. It avails us nothing. But full measures avail us more than we ever could have asked for. I never, I only wanted to stop drinking. That's it. I didn't want to think, I didn't want to change the mind. I didn't know if it was possible to change my thinking. But because of this program, because of God, because of people like yourselves, I didn't know it was possible to be this positive about myself, to love myself this much. That's what AA has given me. Not drinking is like, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. But feeling this positive about myself, I didn't even know that was possible. Beautiful thing. Well, Quinn, thank you so much for joining us today. I truly appreciate your experience, strength, and hope. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Quinn for joining us today, and thanks to you for listening. You can join our community at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you consider giving us a rating? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, those ratings are really important. Lee and I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.